Good morning, everybody. Isn't it truly marvelous what we've been given in Christ? He's amazing. And what a wonderful day it is, too. I was up early this morning, and this is not exactly the kind of summer day I would have expected, but uh, it is still the middle of summer. We've got plenty of summer left, right? For those, those of us who aren't necessarily looking forward to winter and fall yet, Jen and Matthew, uh, please take out your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 19. We are going through a series talking about Jesus stories. We are examining Scripture. We are uh, picking some things out of each of these chapters as we go through them together. And I hope, uh, as I found it encouraging and uplifting, I hope that you will find it encouraging and uplifting as well. Let's pray real quick as we open God's Word. Father, I'm so thankful I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here together, learning about your word, worshiping you, the creator and the sustainer of all things. I thank you that you've given us a marvelous and beautiful and wonderful day to enjoy uh, and that we get to do it together. Bless this study in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke 19, we're going to start in verse 11. As they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. 
These are sobering words. It's a bit convicting, possibly. It's a bit maybe challenging. I hope that this morning we'll also find it encouraging, too, as God's Word always is. So what do, we, what do we get out of this? We've been talking about these parables, and as we've been going through Luke, there have been several parables that we've talked about. And so we've talked about the importance of context. We've talked about understanding the sort of point or maybe two or three points of the parable. We've talked about you have to identify who the, in a sense, the audience is and who the main players in the parable are. And so I have a few questions for us. Uh, that I'd like to put up on the screen. And it starts with, what is the kingdom? Who are the noblemen, the servants, the citizens? And then what is the business that is being talked about? The business that the, the king who is, who is coming to take his kingdom said, I want you to be in business until I come again. So what is that? We're going to answer those things, so keep those questions in mind. But essentially, this this parable is talking about uh, the kingdom of God, right? It said in, in verse 11 and 12 that Jesus taught this in particular because he was coming to Jerusalem, and the people thought that there was a kingdom that was going to take place. Now, we know from other scriptures that that people thought that there was going to be a literal sort of taking over and setting up of a, a literal sort of physical rule and reign of Jesus. They, di- they didn't understand completely what he was coming to do, even though he tried to tell them several times. But this was the idea, and so he, he gave this parable at this time to the people that were listening to him. And we, of course, can easily uh, pick out a few things from this. We understand that, of course, Jesus is the person, the nobleman being talked about. And the kingdom is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, presently and into the future. And the citizens and the servants, right? Are, Are we servants? We're servants of the kingdom of God, aren't we? but there are also citizens. I'm actually not going to get into that today. I'm going to leave that one for you each to chew on a little bit. But that's a very sobering part of this parable. Who are the citizens who refuse the rule and reign of Jesus Christ? And if we ask ourselves, is there a part of us that might have a little bit of that too sometimes? We keep parts of our life sometimes separated from the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit of a framework for this, but I'm going to have us chew on a couple of other questions as we go through this too. I hope though, again, as I said, I hope this is challenging and convicting. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says that as we get together, we're supposed to do this more and more as we see the day of Christ approaching. We are supposed to spur each other on. And so I hope that this is a little bit of a spurring on for each of us this morning. I know it has been for me. Uh, The title of this, which you probably saw, I put up there, is a little play on a math joke, right? The parable of the minus and pluses, right? There's some addition and there's some multiplication, I suggest, in this parable. And so we're going to talk about that. So there's some pluses going on and there's some multiplication going on in this parable. Um, And then two questions to kind of 
think about that might spur us on. What has God given you? What has God given me that he expects a return on? Because see, in the parable, as the nobleman came, he gave something expecting a return. Now, he didn't say that clearly at the beginning, but we know by the end of the parable that clearly a return was expected. So that's the first question. The second, what is the business that we can be about that will result in a return on what we've been given? So keep those in mind as we go through this. Speaking of pluses and minuses, speaking of addition and multiplication, did you know that I actually have more hair on my head than I used to when I was younger? <laughs> no, no offense to some of you, truly. Um, it's true, but it's not necessarily up here. <laughs> you see, as we, as we age, I was very struck this morning as I was getting ready to come that I've got a lot more hair in places that I didn't have before on my head that I have to take care of on a regular basis. And so, yeah, I've been growing my hair out a little bit. It's a little bit longer, and some of you might be saying, yeah, Jason, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. It's getting a little crazy, right? Well, true story, a few, few months ago, uh, this, you'll be learning some things about me this morning. We were watching the Star Wars, uh, one of the Star Wars shows on, on Disney. We, we watched that as a family, and uh, my wife pointed out that one of the characters, he's like, boy, he, he's got kind of a nice hairdo. And it was nothing like mine at the time. And so I, I thought, well, maybe I could grow it out and do something different. Because I've kind of just kept the same haircut for years and years and years, right? Very plain, very boring. And so I decided, well, let it grow out and let's see what, it, let's see what happens, right? It was either that or a mullet, right? You guys know the, the little bit of the, uh, you know, party in the back, business on top, right? What do you think? Would I be able to pull that off? I don't think so. No, there are certain things when they go out of style. So all you young people, well, even older ones too, when something goes out of style, it should generally stay out of style, right? But isn't it amazing how many things do come back around? You're like, where did that come from? It wasn't good back then, and it's still not good. Well, that's, that's my personal opinion, and I, I looked around to make sure I didn't see anybody with a mullet in here, so I didn't want didn't to offend anybody. But, but anyway, true story, back to the hair. So I have hair coming out my ears, and I've got big hairs that come out my eyebrows. I mean, there's way more than there used to be when I was younger. So it's true. I don't have as much up on top, gen- generally speaking, and, but it shows up other places. Uh, and so as I was trimming this morning, I, you know, I, the, suddenly I thought, hey, Lord, there's a great illustration for, for this morning's teaching, right? Some addition, right, in places. And I thought, oh, this was good. And so I wasn't really paying attention to what I was doing, and I was starting to trim my eyebrows. And I've got a little guard that I put on my eyebrow trimmer, right, because there's, it kind of keeps it a certain length, but it does take care of all those really long, long ones, right? You, you, come on, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not the only one. <laughs> I kind of see some of you are like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <clears throat> but truly, so I'm trimming, and I didn't know this about my trimmer, but there's two lengths to the, to the trimmer. As I started trimming this side, I realized 
and I didn't have my glasses on, it looks a little thinner. <laughs> I was on the very short setting, and I don't usually do that, and I didn't know that that was a possibility. So if it looks a little uh, off on this side, that's why. Um, so I, th- I thought maybe if some of the kids were drawing and happened to be drawing this setting, you know, just make sure that you get the, the short eyebrow over there. So if it looks a little strange, that's why. But truly, this parable is about multiplication and addition. And so let's get into it a little bit. What are we given? I suggest to you many things. We're given the gospel. We're given God's grace and mercy. We're given his love. We're given the gift of salvation. We're given strength by the Holy Spirit to do the things that we're supposed to do. All of these things, right? There's a lot of things, but I'm going to focus on just a few this morning um, that I pulled out and I thought kind of fit into this. So um, you, you, you can turn there if you want to. I'm going to jump through a few verses very quickly before we kind of come back to a, a couple of other passages. So if you don't want to turn there, that's fine. But there are, I, I've taught this before, and we don't have time to get into the details, but you guys all know that we've talked about the gifts or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the gifts of God, and we've talked about the gifts of Jesus before. And I don't know if you've heard it talked about like that, but we're going we're gonna to go through those just super quickly uh, today. And I suggest that those are some things that we are given by God to expand His kingdom, to add to the kingdom, and to multiply the kingdom. And so, let's talk about these real quick. Romans 12, verses uh, 3 through 8, talk about the gifts of God. So, I'll start in verse 3. For the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, or one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, those are gifts that God has given. And uh, I don't think those are a big surprise to us. Those are things given to us by God. And, and you know, you, you look at yourself, you look at others, and you can see these gifts in play in the church, right? We use this to, to build each other up, to encourage each other, to give to others, to serve others. Okay, flipping over to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. Talk, and I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of paraphrase phrase this a little bit, but these are the spiritual gifts, and the word gifts is not there. We've talked about that. It's actually manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so there are varieties in verse 4 of gifts. Uh, there are varieties of service, varieties of activities, varieties of um, gift, service, and activities. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. There's also the utterance of knowledge, 
another faith, another gifts of healing, another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing between spirits, to another the distinguishing of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and all these, verse 11, are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Right? Again, not a surprise, but these things are given to us to build up the church, to encourage each other, to draw people into the kingdom, and to spur us on in support of the ministry, preaching the gospel. All right, turn over to, if you're, if you're following with me, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And these are the things that are given by Christ, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, these are all things that were given. God is generous. He knows as, as king. He knows the work that needs to be done to support his kingdom. And he has given us so much to do this. If you count it, again, I'm going to kind of bring in the math picture here a little bit. If you've been counting, there are 21 things through those three different sections that we've been given. And I challenge, I don't know if there's any, do we have any real math, kind of math nerds out there? Oh, there's a couple hands, sort of like this. Uh, I like math. Most of you know that I work for AT&T as an engineer, so math was just sort of part, of part of life. I really enjoyed math. I remember in third grade doing the times tables, right, and, and multiplication tables, and, you know, you kind of do the spreadsheets and you fill them out. I, I just remember liking those and thinking that that was fun. Uh, so these 21 different things, if you run the number of combinations the number of possible combinations from those 21 different gifts, and that's whether you have one or two or all 21, in some proportion, there's over 790 billion combinations of those gifts. How many people are alive on planet Earth right now? Is it 7 billion-ish, right around there? God is faithful. He is generous. He has given us more, in a sense, than what we need to accomplish his purposes. I just find that interesting. So anyway, any of you who want to check that later, please, please do. So what are, what are we given? What is for us? What has God given you in support of his kingdom that he expects a return on? Which one of those things do you feel like, I, I feel like God has given that to me? Or maybe it's for a particular time or a moment in time where the Holy Spirit just says, I know something is needed to support the ministry that needs to happen next to expand the kingdom. Okay, so back to this business. What's this business in the parable that we talked about? Because the nobleman comes and says to his, his servants, he called ten of them, and he said, here's a mina each. I want you to conduct business. So that word business there in the language of the New Testament suggests trading. There's work to be done. There's trading. So these things as we, we think about teaching, we think about generosity, we think about 
the spiritual manifestations of the Holy Spirit. All of those things are meant to be, in a sense, traded so that we would build each other up, so that we would encourage each other. Which one or ones has God given you? Which ones has God given me? And are we using them? Is there going to be a return on what God has invested in us? I always like to, when we go through these things, when we're asking questions about, well, what should we do? I think it's always a good idea to ask the question, what did Jesus do? So let's turn real quick to John chapter 17. This investment that God has given us, I believe, is for the for helping people to invest in the kingdom and investing in the kingdom ourselves. So how did Jesus do this? Uh, lately at work, uh, we kind of it takes a couple of months, but maybe many of you have gone through this too in your jobs. Or maybe you just do this as part of life, but we went through kind of a mid-year review. And we do end-of-year reviews, we do mid-year reviews, and we ask uh, our employees, we ask ourselves, and we're, we, we have a whole sort of website that we've, we fill this out on, but we put in how we're doing. We put in our major accomplishments, we put in things that tie to, in a sense, the mission and the vision of, of what we're trying to do at AT&T which those are very clearly communicated. So we tie our work to those things. We also then make sure that the priority and the things that we're doing are in support of that. Otherwise, right, why are we there? Um, and so in John chapter 17, it, the passage probably says in your Bible, maybe the heading says something like the high priestly prayer, right? This is Jesus praying to the Father shortly before he's going to be crucified. And in a sense, this to me is very much like Jesus's report. It's sort of like his review back to his father. And so as we read this, I want you to keep that sort of that format in mind. And it, it's, uh, it's a little bit long. I'm, I'm going to read the first section and then I'm gonna, again, I'm going to kind of paraphrase and pick, pick a few things up just for the sake of time. But it starts in verse 1 of chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work. There it is. There's the mid-year kind of review report. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In the next uh, 20-ish verses, Jesus outlines the, the very specific things that he did to accomplish the work. 
And again, remember, in our parable, we've been given things to do, the business, the trading, right? Jesus here is giving a business report to his father because his father said, I've got things for you to do. I want you to go do them. And Jesus here says, I did it. I accomplished the work. So again, thinking back to our parable, can we today say, I've accomplished the work you've given me to do so far? So I've, I've picked out seven things, and they are up on the screen for you. That um, there, There's more detail in here, but I think there's basically seven primary things that Jesus did that fits into this, this uh, outline of, I've accomplished the work. So starting in verse 6, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Skipping to verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. Skipping down to verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. Uh, also a continuance there, and I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 14, skipping down further, I have given them your word. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Okay, so there's seven things, seven primary things that Jesus did. Think about those things. Think about what's listed there. And then maybe think about what's not listed. There's a whole bunch of things that Jesus did that aren't really listed there. I suggest to you that for your consideration, you think about it, these were the things that Jesus was told to do by the Father, very specifically. Give them my words, right? Manifest my name. Show them my nature, in a sense. Give them my word. Why is that one in there twice? Give them my words. Give them my word. Why well, put it up there? You can see there's two different words. The rhema and the logos, or logos. Okay, one of them is the very specific word, very very personal, very individual for that time, for that season. The other is, in a sense, the written word of God, those things that have been written down and have been carried forth in Scripture to us for all time. Okay, but he also, he, he showed them his glory. He kept them safe. He guarded them, right? All of these things are the things that Jesus was told to do. So all of the rest of what we read about, the teaching of the parables, the healing people, the, uh, the things that he did, the miracles, all of it was in support of these things. So there's the what and there's the how. The gifts, these 21 things that I talked about, the gifts of God, the gifts of Jesus, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, all of it is given to support the work that we are to be doing, which I think sums up to in what we've been talking about, belief in God and helping others to believe. Connecting to God and helping others to connect to God. Spurring one another on, encourage each other, building each other up, fellowshipping, 
giving generously, going out and preaching the gospel, all of that, right? It's all part of the work as we are servants of the kingdom, and all of it is meant to have a return on the investment because of the gifts that you've been given. So back to our first couple of questions. What has God given you that he expects a return on his investment? And what is the business that you can be doing to get that return? Really think about it. So many of you I know are already doing this, and so I commend you in that because I do see so much of that happening here. You know what your gifts are. And you're using them, and God gives you that opportunity. We've talked a lot about outreach lately. And I think our, our vision of that, or our view of that, or understanding maybe is a little bit different, depending on who you ask. A lot of times we look at outreach as basically us and them. There's us, and then there's them, and let's go reach out to them. There's nothing wrong with that. That's definitely part of outreach. God, Jesus sent, right, and commanded, said, go preach the gospel in all the nations. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them to follow all that I have commanded, right? That's definitely part of it. But I think in part of going out is when we go out, we go out together. And sometimes we need to guard each other. We need to give each other God's word. We need to build each other up. We need to give two things. So there's, there's the, the doing that together. So outreach is whoever you're with, reach out to them. Reach out to the Lord. Does that make sense? So outreach is a lot of different things, but that's kind of the basis of this parable of the kingdom and the principles of what have you been given and what's the return on the investment. Let's go back to Luke 19, start to pull this together just a little bit. The context could be understood maybe a little bit better when we look at uh, the first part of chapter 19 of Luke. Jesus entered Jericho, verse 1, and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. It means he was short. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, and this is amazing to me, Today, Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. 
Isn't that a beautiful thing? And this interaction is super short. Zacchaeus went to see Jesus. Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your place. I see you. Everybody else was grumbling. Why is Jesus paying attention to this guy? Zacchaeus was thrilled because the very thing he sought, he got. See, that wasn't specifically part of Jesus' instructions from God, but it was definitely there in the instructions too, right? He was told, go give, give my words, give the word of God, give them my name, show them my glory, help them understand my nature. Jesus was doing that very simply. And what happened? Salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. It's amazing. See, I think as we go, we can, we can do that too. Who are you having over for lunch today or this week? Who are you going to see at work? Who are you going to see at the gas station? Who are you in fellowship with? And is there something that God would put on your heart to say to them? Are you raising your kids up to know the Lord? We talk a lot about faith at home. As parents, as grandparents, as friends, as neighbors, are we just bringing that as part of our life and sharing the good news? Arguably, I don't know that there's a greater gift than the gift of salvation, the thing that we've been given. And so to see that multiply in our lives. By the way, salvation is two things, right? You, you all know this. It's, there's a moment of salvation, a belief on the person of Jesus Christ and what he did for you. But there's also the working out of your salvation. It takes a lifetime. We're doing that every day. So do you want to see salvation come to your house today? Yes, you're, you're saved. You're, you're going to heaven. But do you want to see salvation come to your house today? Does God want to give you something that salvation might come to a greater extent in you personally, in your family, in your connection of friends, maybe in the people that you work with. This is what the kingdom is about. It's not about getting together here and listening to a teaching, singing some songs, and going home and feeling good about ourselves because we, we did it. It should be part of our lives daily, continually. All right, Lord, what do you have for me today? And listening to a still small voice, say, hey, I've got something for you today. Let's see, let's see what happens when you do the business of trading, right? Giving it to, out, out to others, showing people the love of God. What hinders, another question here is we just about are done. What hinders our investment? in people. And I forgot one thing I'm going to uh, turn back to real quick, and I hope this is an encouraging part. Sometimes we look at the parable, and if, we, if we're honest, we, we kind of think, oh, that's a little harsh. I don't know. I feel a little convicted. I feel a little like I, I'm, I'm wondering. There's essentially two examples here of you know, of the ten servants, well, there's three. The third one is not so good, right? Don't hide it. 
Don't, don't put it aside. But there's two that have growth, addition and multiplication. Two of the servants got that. We don't know what happened to the other seven. It's not shown here. By the way, Matthew is a 25 is a, a similar story, but it's different. It's a different parable. So research that in your own sometime. Think through that. Pray through that. But there's two servants here who do get praised for their growth, and they are given more responsibility. And sometimes I go, well, Lord, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that return is. I don't know that I can get 10 for one. I don't know that I can increase it that much. Or I don't know as I look back on my life, I don't know, I don't know where I fit in that spectrum. The beauty of this parable is there was no mention of how much return there should be. The only thing that was asked is, are you doing something with it? Or are you hiding it? So if you're sitting there today wondering, I don't know if I've got the 10 or even the 5, maybe it's only like 0.5. Jesus said, even what you do, the little thing, like a cup of water, to the least you do for me. There's a lot of little stuff that we can do that counts big in the kingdom. So when we go, whatever we're doing, let's make sure that we keep that in mind, not to condemn ourselves. Let God worry about the return, right? He can make it 10 or 5, right? Fishes and the loaves, right? He can take a little and turn it into something huge. Day of Pentecost, right? How many came into the the body of Christ that day? 3,000. They were just teaching the word, getting together, fellowshipping, praying, The place was shaken, right? The day of Pentecost, 3,000. Lord did it. There just were people who were faithful to give out what they had been given. Peter got up and taught the word. They were together praying intently. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit as they were told to do. They were being obedient. God will do the rest. Okay, but I want to spend just a few minutes here at the end, and, and it won't be too long. I believe that there are some things that can hinder us from doing the work that God has called us to do. Because this work, this giving out of what we've been given, depends upon relationship. It depends on relating to people. It depends on relating to God. And I'm going to draw a connection now to those those who were here last week. And Brad taught from a previous chapter about how we are commanded to forgive. And so we, tar- we started to talk just a little bit. And Brad ta- taught on this, and we kind of had some time at the end where we talked about the importance of being obedient to forgive others. And I felt personally, I don't know about you, but I felt very personally like that was, that was very important for each of us, for us as a body. And I I don't know, I just sensed that. I chewed on that all last Sunday, and I've been kind of chewing on it this week a little bit too, chewing on it in a good way. I was encouraged, I was challenged by that, because I really feel like the thing that hinders us from doing the ministry that God has called us to do, the giving out, the outreach, the, the connection to others, the connection to God, the connection of going out, can be hindered because of bitterness and anger, as a result of unforgiveness. 
And so I wonder, this is going to get a little heavy for a moment. This hopefully is convicting, but I hope it's freeing also. We talked about that last week. When we forgive, we are getting freed up from things inside of us. That's very true. I want to add something that we didn't focus on last week. The command to forgive was preceded by a second piece, which is pretty important in this. They're both important and they both can be separate, and I'll explain it in a minute. But relationship is generally about two sides. Whether it's us and God, whether it's us and another person, and we've got multiple levels of relationship, whether it's husband-wife, kid, parent, boss, employee, peers, co-workers, friends, right? All kinds of relationships. But there's always two sides to that relationship, aren't there? And so I believe there's just something, again, I want us to consider just for a couple minutes as we end up here. Is there, is there an opportunity for you to free up a relationship or improve a relationship so that you can go about the business of trading in the things that you've been given spiritually by God that there might be a return on the investment God has made? Let me say that again. Is there something, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's the lack of repentance, that is necessary for you to have a relationship with someone, even between you and the Lord, because of a lack of repentance or confession or lack of forgiveness, so that the relationship now is free both ways so that you can be investing in what God has given to you for the sake of this business in the kingdom. Corey and I have have thought about this a lot just in discussions with people and various things, nothing to do with even even church business. But we've just, God has put us in places where we've been, been privileged to just listen to people and share with people what God has taught us over many years of of marriage and raising kids and living, right? And, and many of you would, will understand this and will, will see this. But the entirety of Scripture can be summed up in a, a theme, right? A, a very simple theme. Sin has caused there to be a, a gap between us and God. Applies to all mankind. There is only one way to bridge that gap, and that was for Jesus to die on the cross. That was it, the shedding of blood. But his death was required to bridge the gap between you and God, and me and God, and anybody in the world and God. Okay, that's the gospel, the good news. Jesus came to do that. You don't have to do anything but accept that. It's wonderful. It's beauty of the good news of the gospel that we get to share with people. But that gap, right, that's a simple picture, right? There was a break in the relationship between us and God because of sin. That gap could only be solved by death. And I suggest to you that that same thing between us and the Lord, in a sense of our eternal salvation, is also true in our relationships with each other. 
because of sin, cause there to be gaps. We cause rifts. We build walls because of hurt, because we're idiots sometimes, because we sin. And so we just build up these things. We cause there to be a break in relationship. And so over time, that can really build up to be a big thing. Sometimes we pretend, ah, oh, it's no big deal. But inside, we, you know, 10 years later, it comes up and you realize, oh, maybe it was a big deal. There's lots of reasons, hundreds, thousands of them for each of us probably to, to, to create these gaps between us and other people. And maybe even us and the Lord. How does that gap get solved? There's only one way. There must be death. See, to really resolve and work through the process of forgiveness and repentance on both sides, there has to be death. And we could do a whole teaching on this or even a series. I'm not, sorry, there's only a few minutes left, so I'll be quick. But uh, I think this is important. I think this is really important that we think through this, this picture of something or somebody has to die to have reconciliation. Right, Bible talks about we're given the ministry of reconciliation, right? That's something that we're in the process of doing daily with the Lord sometimes. Lord, I blew it. And we confess, and he's faithful and say, hey, I've already died. I've already forgiven you for that. I've even forgotten about it. I don't know what you're talking about. But with people, people aren't so good at forgetting, are they? We remember a lot of stuff. And we have a really, really, really good memory when it comes to things that have really hurt us. We don't forget those things. And we talked, and Brad did a great job, we talked through about the importance of forgiving. And if somebody isn't willing to come and repent and ask forgiveness, yes, still forgive them, absolutely. But I think that there's something more that really helps the kingdom work that we just talked about. And that's for two sides to do their part. I don't know about you, but every time I've had to, uh, uh, or I've recognized some hurt in me, I've understood that likely I did something in return. It's almost always a two-way street. And so this idea of if I want to restore relationships with people, and it could be between a husband and a wife, it could be between you and your boss, it could be between you and a really dear friend, or maybe a family member that you haven't talked to in a while, in order to restore that properly, yes, you can forgive them because maybe they aren't going to ever ask you because they won't humble themselves. They won't die to self. There's that death. They may not do that, and you forgive them anyway so that you can be free. But I suggest to you, if they do their part, and you do your part, and you might each have to repent and ask forgiveness because that's what the verse talks about, and then you both go through the process of forgiveness. And oftentimes it requires a lot of words and a lot of hard work and a lot of humility. Now you've got two sides that are free. And that relationship becomes free. Because if that relationship is not completely free, there will be a barrier and a hindrance to you pouring out those gifts that God has given you into that relationship, into that other person. Jesus showed us exactly 
how to do this ministry of reconciliation. He humbled himself and died on a cross so that we could do the same for others. So can I encourage us today to think about that so that there might not be any hindrances to the gospel going out, for us doing outreach. And that could be with people here in this room. It could be in your family. It could be in all kinds of different places. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, stand. Let's stand for the benediction. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also offer you, since we have a few minutes left, I know the children are done at, at 11, and um, thank you for bearing with me, everybody, even online. I know we went a little bit long. I really felt this was important for today because God put this on my heart, and I think he's put it on your hearts too. I could feel it last week. So I'm going to offer, if anyone wants to talk or just to pray, uh, Corey and I will be up here. Find, find some other elders. Find people that you trust, that you know you can pray with. It might be somebody close by to you. Um, if God is putting a specific person on your heart to talk to about forgiveness and repentance, go do it. Be obedient. But if you just want to talk through it and want to be encouraged and prayed over in this, in this area that there might not be another hindrance or that you could start to maybe work on removing that, that thing that's between you, there'll be some people up here, prayer ministers, a few you know, elders and their, their wives, I'll be up here. Or find somebody that you, you know and, and trust. Really, that's fine. Um, but let's, let's take a few minutes to do that. Otherwise, you'll be dismissed here right after the benediction. And I wanted to encourage us uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And we all always put our hands up because we're receiving this from the Lord. This is understanding that